Last week, I asked you a question. I asked you if you were inside or outside God's purpose and how might you know and uh, showed you how Paul began telling the story of Abraham about how God chose Abraham and brought Abraham inside his purpose. That was a great thing. But why God chose Abraham, he never tells us. He never tells us the reason. He tells us the purpose for choosing Abraham, but he never tells us why God chose Abraham instead of uh, choosing somebody else. And we, we don't have any problem with that. We just accept that God in his wisdom chose Abraham and his grand purpose for choosing Abraham, he said, was so that I might make you a blessing to all the families of the earth. And then he breaks it down further and showed how instead of choosing all of Abraham's descendants, he only chose Isaac. Isaac was the child of promise, and God chose to bring Isaac into his purpose for the grander purpose of carrying on this promise that he made to Abraham, of making Abraham and his descendants a blessing to all the families of the earth. And then Isaac had two sons. Their names were Jacob and Esau. God chose the younger, Jacob, instead of the older, Esau. And God brought Jacob into his grand purpose. And his descendants became the children of Israel. His name was changed to Israel. He became Israel. And so God brought Israel into his purpose, a nation, a whole nation of people. He brought into his purpose for the grander purpose of making them a blessing to all the families of the earth, ultimately bringing the Lord Jesus Christ on his mission of salvation, that he might make him a blessing to all the families of the earth. So God chooses to bring some people inside his purpose. And so last week I asked you, had he chosen you? Now, when we get to the story of Jacob and Esau, we begin to have a little problem. Some people say, well, why didn't God choose Esau? He was the oldest. He was the one who's, who should have had the birthright. Why did God uh, choose to use Jacob? Both of those guys, by the way, the Bible says that God chose them, made this decision before they were born, before anyone of them had done anything good or bad. So it had nothing to do with their character because he knew that both of them would grow up to be despicable men. We're all quite despicable, by the way, and we'll talk about that a little later. But some people began to say, well, maybe God's not just in the way he makes decisions. And so God, Paul answers that question beginning in verse 14 of Romans chapter 9. He says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So it depends not on human will or on human exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he wills, whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another vessel for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction 
in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. And the problem some people are having with Paul in this conversation is the whole idea about Israel being outside of God's purpose. And they were outside of God's purpose, and we'll establish that a little bit more later as we have established already. The whole ninth chapter of Romans and the tenth chapter of Romans establishes that. He says, Isaiah says, and he said it 16 times, by the way, 16 times in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah said, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay, and as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord had not left us offspring, we would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. The title of the message today is Mercy Magnified. And what I want you to see in this passage of Scripture is not normally what people see in this passage of Scripture. What I want you to see is the wide open door of God's mercy. Most of us are more like Sodom and Gomorrah than we might like to admit. Let me explain what I mean by that. Sodom and Gomorrah were marked for destruction by God. God told Abraham he was going to destroy those cities, and he did destroy them. He did destroy them. And so you might have a problem with God destroying anybody, but he did destroy them. And uh, God says, uh, you know, uh, he shows mercy when it's time to show mercy, but on those who uh, he does, uh, it, it's just a fact of his mercy. It's just a fact of God showing mercy. He illustrates that by saving Lot out of Sodom. Lot was saved out of Sodom, not because Lot was a good man. We also talked about that, how in Sodom there were not 30 righteous people or 20 righteous people or 10 righteous people or really one righteous person because the message of the Old Testament throughout is there is none righteous, no, not one. That's where Paul gets that statement. He gets it from the Old Testament. And Jeremiah says in the book of Jeremiah, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. All of these hearts in Sodom and Gomorrah were, were, were desperately sick hearts. Your heart and my heart are desperately sick hearts. We're going to establish that. I'm going to prove you that with one statement from Paul in just a minute, but we have to get there. And so all of these people were headed for destruction, and but by an act of mercy, God saved Lot. You remember when uh, the world was about to be destroyed by a flood? God called Noah to build an ark. The Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and Noah and his family were saved by an act of God's mercy. Everybody outside the ark was outside of God's purpose. Everybody inside the ark was inside of God's purpose, but only by an act of God's purpose or an act of God's mercy. So where would you place yourself today? Are you inside or outside God's purpose? Now, if you look at Romans 9:11 again, uh, let me read that verse to you that you can see God is working his purpose, securing his purpose. He says, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand. 
not because of works, but because of him who calls. It never depends on a man, never depends on me. It always depends on God because that's how sinful we are. We are so sinful that if God didn't take the initiative, if God didn't carry a burden for us on his heart that was greater than the burden that Paul carried on his heart for Israel when he said at the beginning of chapter 9, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for my kinsmen according to the flesh. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, he says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved because in the time of Paul and in the time of Jesus, they were outside God's purpose and they desperately needed God's mercy. The second thing I want you to see is how God calls people to respond to his mercy. You would never respond to God's mercy, even his desire to show you mercy, if God himself didn't take the initiative to do a work in your own life. He awakened their hearts to this need of God. This is not automatic. No person is automatically a part of God's purpose. A person has to answer God's call. Abraham answered God's call. Jacob answered God's call. Isaac answered God's call. Noah answered God's call. A person has the responsibility of responding to God. Otherwise, even though they've been called, they will remain outside of God's mercy. God calls people to respond to his mercy. And today, God may be calling you. We sang the song, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. There may be some circumstances that have arisen in your life, some need or some concern that you have or some realization you have of your own sinfulness. Maybe you never realized that you could be such a bad person, but things have happened this week and you've done things you never thought you would do and you realize that you're a terrible sinner. You are like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. You are on the road to destruction just like they were and unless God, by an act of his mercy, saves you, you will never be saved. God may be calling you to respond to his mercy. That's the thing that we need to see. But that's entirely God's activity. It has nothing to do with your goodness or your effort it's all about God who calls. He's calling people to respond to his mercy. But next, we need to see there are those who miss God's mercy. And that's tragic. If you'll go back to the story of Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his family, you will remember that while God sent two angels to deliver Lot and his family out of Sodom. Lot's wife missed God's mercy. She just couldn't bear to leave. And she looked back and the Bible says that she came, became a pillar of salt. She was basically destroyed along with the people of Sodom. She missed God's mercy, but she didn't have to miss God's mercy. And we don't want that to happen to you either. So... Paul is reminding us that even Israel missed God's mercy. Now, I know that disagrees with some of the major writers on end times today. Let me say to you one of the things I've learned about all books on end times across my 46 years in the ministry. They're all wrong. They all end up being wrong because nobody knows the answer to all these things but God himself. So read all of them with a grain of salt. Uh, so we look at Israel and we wonder how... 
Some people say, well, they didn't miss God's mercy. They're still God's chosen people. They didn't reject Jesus. That's what I read you, the statement that one man made a couple of weeks ago. I read you how he said how they didn't reject Jesus. Jesus never offered himself to them as their Messiah. Well, let me read you what Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, verse 34. He said, uh, he wept over Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you like a hen gathers its chicks under its wings and you would not. They rejected God's mercy. Also of the Pharisees and the lawyers in Luke chapter 7, verse 30, Luke writes that they rejected God's purpose for themselves. Why did God send his son into the world? To begin with, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believeth in him should not perish. That means there are people who will perish. There are people who might perish. There are people who could perish were it not for God sending his Son into the world. He says, in John 3, 17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't have to because the world's condemned already. If they don't believe, they're condemned already. You're, 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 you're condemned before you have the opportunity to believe. Condemned already. Headed for destruction already. That's why God sent His Son into the world. He sent His Son into the, into the world as an act of mercy. If you miss that moment, if you miss the call of God calling you to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will miss God's mercy. Now, I've listened to teaching on this passage, and I'm sure you have too, that emphasizes that God's mercy is a limited mercy, that He never intends to show mercy to, to everybody. But I suggest to you that this is not what this verse is saying. Instead, it's saying that everything God does, even if it is to harden the heart of someone like Pharaoh, it is to magnify his mercy. So that's the next point I want you to see, is that God's activity works to magnify his mercy. I want to show you how Paul says that even in this passage of Scripture. Now, what is he talking about when he talks about Pharaoh and the hardened heart of Pharaoh? Well, he's talking about that time in Egypt when God's children were being delivered from Egypt and, and uh, God kept calling, sending Moses to Pharaoh, telling Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, I won't let them go. The Bible said Pharaoh hardened his heart. He did it once and he did it again and ultimately said... he. God told Moses in advance, he said, he's going to harden his heart, and then there's going to come a point where I'm going to harden his heart. Pharaoh said no, and so God said, that last time Pharaoh said no, God said, okay, I will harden your heart further. And by, by doing so, I will use your refusal as an opportunity to magnify my mercy in saving these people so that from here to eternity, instead of talking about you, people are going to be talking about me and how I worked such a great deliverance for these people. And that's exactly what we do talk about. We talk about how the children of Israel came to the Red Sea and God allowed them to cross on dry ground the great miracle of parting the Red Sea. And then when Pharaoh and his army started after them, God brought the walls of the Red Sea over them and destroyed them. 
Now, for all those who've been wrapped up in the fact that it seems God has rejected the Jews who rejected them, let me remind you of what Isaiah says in this passage of Scripture, and that is that God always knew that only a remnant of them would be saved. So what's the emphasis here? It's this, that even across the countless years of rejection and the rankest, vilest sin, God still intends to magnify His mercy by saving some people, even among the Jews. Now let's go back to the Jews a minute and let's establish the fact that the Jews in the time of Jesus were lost. They were lost because Jesus said, I'm come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when Jesus talked to Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee and a ruler among the Jews, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus didn't understand that. Jesus explained it to him. That's where we find John 3, 16, 17, and 18 as John tells the story of Nicodemus. I remind you that Paul, when he was walking down the road to, to Damascus, he was on his way to persecute Christians. When he was struck down by a light from heaven, Paul was a Jew before that moment. I also remind you that on the day of Pentecost, of the 3,000 people that were saved on the day of Pentecost, they were all devout Jews who were cut to the heart by the message of what had happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they cried out to Peter and said, what should we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. So that message is the message Jesus, first word out of Jesus, first word out of the mouth of John the Baptist to the Jews to whom he was preaching was repent. First word out of the mouth of Jesus to the to the Jews to whom he was preaching was repent. And he sent his disciples and the first words out of their mouth, he said, you tell them to repent and believe the gospel. And that is the message that we need to be sharing today. And that's the only place that there's hope. Salvation only comes to anybody through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's say you harden your heart. Let's say God calls you and you say no. I'm not coming. I'm not responding to God. Let's say you, God calls you another time, like he called Pharaoh another time, and you say, no, I'm not coming. I'm not going to respond. And then ultimately God says, okay, you reject me, and then I will let you reject. I will help you along the way to reject me, and I'll magnify by mercy by saving someone else if you won't respond to me. That's essentially what God did with Pharaoh. I will magnify my name. I will proclaim the greatness of my name through you, through your rejection. So where are you? Are you inside or outside God's purpose? Now let me explain something a little further to you. God divides in this passage of Scripture, Paul does, people, all people into two groups. Two groups. You know, we've talked about being lost or saved, right? Uh, we've talked about being in Adam or in Christ. We've talked about being outside God's purpose or inside God's purpose. And here Paul talks about vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy. And he divides all of mankind into those two groups in verses 22 through 24. And he does so, he, he, the point that Paul makes is those two groups supersede any ethnicity 
Now, if that gives you a problem, I want to show you something here that might clear the whole picture up for you. It's from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 3. And as Paul writes to the Ephesians, he's talking about himself, who he was, his life, and he relates himself to these Ephesians. And he says, Among whom, among them, we too all, we means me, it means you, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And the English Standard Version reads, the rest of mankind. In other words, Pharaoh was a child of wrath. You are a child of wrath. Everybody in Sodom and Gomorrah were children of wrath. Every Jew, every Jew, Paul put himself in the category, I'm sorry, he, when he said we, he put himself in that category. Every Jew was a child of wrath. Every Jew was on their way to destruction just as much as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were on their way to destruction without a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Elsewise, why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross for the thief on the cross who cried out to him, remember me when you come into your kingdom? I suppose he was a Jew living there in Jerusalem, although he was a criminal, although he was a thief. He was just like you and just like me. He was a child of wrath and he needed God's mercy. And he found it that day on the cross. And that is the only way and the only place anyone will ever find God's mercy is at the cross. If you reject him, there is no mercy. There is no way to heaven outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Bible says there is, there is, there is no salvation under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved other than in the name of Jesus. And that's not just for some people, that's for all people, for all people. So the point is, this morning, God might be calling you, calling you inside his purpose, yes. Calling you to be a vessel of mercy because he wants to show you mercy, that's why he sent Jesus. And it didn't say, for God so loved some. It said, for God so loved the world. Paul said, listen to what Paul said again. He said, I have great heaviness and unceasing anguish in my heart for my kinsmen according to the flesh. He said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. His burden was for all of them. God's burden is for everyone, for you, for me. Now, if you reject him, and he calls again, and you reject him again, and he calls again, and you reject him again, God will say, okay, that's your decision. I'll save the person on the pew sitting next to you. I'll magnify my mercy by saving them. I would have saved you. I called you. I often, I often would have gathered you. Notice, Jesus wept 
He wept. He wept over Jerusalem and said, How often I would have, but you would not. And he said to them, You missed the time of your visitation. That's one of the most tragic things in the whole wide world. Should God come to you and speak to you and you realize it and you let the moment pass, you miss the moment of his mercy. Let's pray.